and welcome to the Middlemen podcast, taking you ringside, pitch side, and as always, sharing a unique journalistic perspective on sport. I'm Noah Abrahams. And I'm Max Taylor. Three seems to be the magic number this week. We cover three sports in boxing, football, and a bit of an unsuspecting one in horse racing. And we also cover three undisputed title fights as well. Some big talking points coming up. Stay tuned for it. So, Max, let's start with the middlemen derby. Uh, Liverpool versus Chelsea at Anfield last night on Thursday night. So we're recording on the Friday after the game. Uh, and Chelsea won 1-0. So we're still undefeated under Thomas Tuchel. And it meant that Liverpool are now five games without a win at Anfield, uh, which is unbelievable. It's the first time it's ever happened. And it says a lot about the situation Liverpool are in at the moment. You've lost eight of your last 14 games. And it's fair to say you're not looking great. Uh, You couldn't stretch Chelsea. You never really clicked in the final third. What are your thoughts initially just on the whole game in general? And Salah coming off. There's so much to talk about. But what are your thoughts just on that game? Well, firstly, those are statistics that you just noted just put a massive grimace on my face because it is hard to hear um, that level of performance and, and it's hard to hear how badly we're performing given how well we were doing last year. Obviously, um, you know, these things happen, but they don't happen in such dramatic fashion. It's such a typical Liverpool thing to do. But, um, I mean, you, you've got to give your props to Chelsea in this this game last night. It was... Um, a big match, very significant match for the top four. And I think Chelsea just played fantastic. It, you know, reminded me of uh, Mourinho a little bit, how you kind of sat on the lead. That's no that's no criticism at all. Um, if you can sit on the lead and do it well, then why wouldn't you? Uh, when it turns out performances like that, you know, especially when that game was a must-win game for both teams, I think. So uh, Chelsea went about it completely the right way. And Liverpool once again didn't. Um if you look back, I think even in our last seven games, this might be um, a bit of a stretch of a statistic. I'm not 100% on it, but I do believe that we've scored, in our last seven games at Anfield, we've only scored two goals. But, th- but that just goes to show what we're lacking, where we're lacking. and uh, But I don't know why. You know, that's that's the front three that caused havoc to the Premier League um, last year. That's the same front three that we played well, that, um, last I can't, night. In this I, I, don't, I don't understand why why you're so poor going forwards. I, I get the def- the defensive problems, but why when you're going forwards, are you so are you so bad this season? Because it's not like you haven't got that quality. Maybe uh, Yotta coming into the side, maybe he's going to add a bit of competition, but I don't, I don't fully get why you're so poor going forwards. Yeah, I'm really hoping that Yotta is the saviour. He was basically our saviour earlier on in the, uh, in the season when he wasn't injured. So it's, it's nice to see him back. Um, I'm glad he got a bit of game time under his belt last night because he could be our promise um, for getting top four this year because, he, you know, he he played fantastically before he was injured. And I just, Mane, Firmino, just the whole front three, you know, with, with Salah as well, who was t- controversially taken off last night. Um, I think they just lack an inspiration. They just seem all out of ideas. You know, I watch them press up to the final third and they just... They just look not clueless, but well, I guess you could say they they do look a bit clueless, you know. Um, they just when when Chelsea Chelsea was so comfortable um, in defence, out of the ball, out of possession, um, you know, we never really looked like scoring. Although we we I think we had a good second half and we tried to take it to you, but there was no end product. There was no you know clear cut chance that could have um, won us or, or saved us the game. You had 
Um, I remember Genie Wijnaldum's header at goal, but that you know it never really troubled the keeper. So it's 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 a shame to see, and um, you know I, I can't really go into the tactical or like you know the super um, technical reasons as to why Salamani and Bobby aren't performing their best. But you know from from what I see from and it was shown completely last night that there's just no inspiration up front. I don't think uh, anyone knows why those those three players aren't performing at their top levels. I, I agree with you. I think you look flat. I don't think you look brave enough in the final third. You look passive. And, and you look at Chelsea and they look very comfortable, whilst whilst you guys looked incredibly lost. Uh, I think Klopp also just, just didn't really know. It, it almost looked as though he didn't really know where he was and he, he wasn't quite he quite, wasn't quite all there last night and he didn't I think taking off Salah was a massive call um, and one that I don't fully understand when you've got uh, what half an hour left of a game to play it was the, the earliest Salah has been substituted since his Chelsea days and um, what did you make of that substitution because th- that seemed a bit strange to me not as a Liverpool fan just as a football fan that seemed like a strange decision well to be honest it caused a lot of outrage but I <laughs> I can kind of understand Klopp's thinking, which, you know, probably caused some outrage me saying that. But I think when, yeah, he is the top goal scorer and and that's where most of the uh, controversy came from when you're taking off, you know, the guy that's getting you the most goals. But I think big, uh, big changes and big decisions need to be made from Klopp. I'm not sure if that was the right one, but, you know, Salah wasn't really playing well at all last night. I don't, you know, he, he didn't look very dangerous at all. Um, he was almost in in the Chelsea's defenders' pockets for for a lot of the game. So to be honest, I think when when he's not performing at his best or he's not looking like he'll score, why why not take him off? Why not switch it up? Yeah, I don't think because... I, I don't think he's he's invincible to being substituted. I think he's like any other player. If he's having a bad game, take him off. Exactly. Um, just because he's a top goal scorer, I don't think he should be immune to that. Um, and it you know think of it from the mental side. If you you're you well you have had a good season in terms of goal scoring and then you get taken off it might be a bit of a wake-up call to say hey you're not playing your best you know get back in form so hopefully it's uh, actually been a bit of a kick up the backside for Salah Um, and I'm I'm praying that it is but yeah I think decisions like this need to be made but I'm just hoping that um, Klopp makes the right ones because it I think every decision from here on out especially because we lost uh, the game last night is vital for the team. No, you're absolutely bang on. I think uh, that's a good point with with Salah being taken off. It might be a bit of a wake-up call for him to start uh, getting his head in the game a little bit more. Let me ask you a bit of a a question that I I suppose is playing devil's advocate a little bit. But Have you got yourselves to blame after a very, very bad January transfer window? Um, Yeah, I mean, mean, well, we we can't blame anyone else, can we? Uh, with the way we're performing, there's no one else to blame. You have to take full responsibility for it. And that's what the players are doing. You know, they still have my full support. Um, that's, and, and it's this times, it's at these times where supporters really show their true colours, you know, when you really need to stick by your side when they need you the most. Um, but yeah, I think we do. We are the only people we can blame is ourselves. Um, the, the transfer window, we could have done a bit more as well. Definitely could have done a bit more. Um, and... I mean, we, we were happy with the signings of Davis and Kabak. Um, we thought, you know, it, it would have tightened our defence. Kabak hasn't had that influence 
he hasn't had the immediate influence, which is okay. It's, it's kind of understandable, you know, when he's gone from, he's been brought from the Schalke side that he was into the Prem. But you can't really make an excuse for signing someone from that club when it was a signing that we wanted to make. So, you know, he hasn't had the immediate effect and he hasn't had the replacement of Van Dyke. No one was thinking that he was going to replace Van Dyke to the fullest effect. But I think we expected him to do a bit more uh, than he has already. I'm not going to completely come down in like a ton of bricks for that because the Premier League is a foreboding place for any any new signing um, coming from any division. So, and yeah, obviously then our other signing Davis um, is that is that a mare with injury? So yeah, it's. I mean, we we can blame ourselves for it. Uh, as I said, we're the only ones that we can blame. We could have done a bit more in the transfer window. And looking back at it, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. We should have, and we should have invested in um, our attacking. Uh, in attacking players more than defenders because look where signing no attacking players has got us. Yeah, Scoring you're right. No you're right. In, uh, you're right in saying that the Premier League it is a tough division to to start playing in all of a sudden from a, a league like Germany or, or wherever you're coming from. The English Premier League is one of the toughest in the world. Werner has learned that the hard way. And I thought actually he played very well last night against Liverpool. Probably one of his best performances so far in a Chelsea shirt, exists on that shoulder of the last defender. And I think he deserved the ruled, the ruled out offside goal. Um, I just thought Chelsea, I think he fits in now with his pace. He, he uses his pace really well. He fits in nicely with Tuchel's system. And uh, I'm really happy with Werner at the moment. So a big shout out to, to Timo Werner, who now is finally finding his feet, I think. And as for that goal, Mason Mount, what an unbelievable finish. I think he plays so well in between the lines and, uh, he's one of those players that he will be giving Gareth Southgate a headache. Who who does he bring? Does he bring Madison, Grealish, Mount or Foden? For me, as a Chelsea fan, and this is a big statement, I wouldn't include Mount. I wouldn't take Mount to the Euros. I think Foden, uh, with Foden, Grealish and Madison, three better players than Mount, maybe uh, in the next Euros, it'll be a different story. At the moment, I'd leave him out of my England team, but uh, in a Chelsea shirt, he's unbelievable. He's playing brilliant football at the moment and under Thomas Tuchel, Chelsea have only conceded two goals in 10 games. We're undefeated. We've beaten Tottenham, Atletico Madrid and Liverpool. 10 points from the last 11 Premier League games in 2021. It couldn't really be much better from my point of view. Yeah, mate, that is a big statement. We can't just let what you said off casually there. That is I was trying big. to. I was trying to. <laughs> but hey, look, listen, it's... It is it is a tough decision for Southgate, and I do think he's going to be um, he's going to get backlash. Well, from from um, any either fan base, I guess he's got to leave one of them out, hasn't he? And um, whoever he does leave out, that the team that they play for is going to come back at him. But but it, it is big. I, I would definitely include him. I think Mount is one of, if not the best Chelsea player right now. Oh no, I think without doubt in that Chelsea squad, he's one of, if not the best. Um, I just think. With, with those four in, in that position, with Mad, uh, James Madison, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden and Mason Mount, I don't think you can take all four. Um, yeah. so that, I think you can take three at a push. And so then you've got to pick what three. And I think Madison's better set, a better player all round, especially at set pieces. Foden is so clinical in front of goal. I mean, Mount hasn't scored at home uh, in the Premier League this season. So you're, you're looking at these different stats and different way they play. And Grealish, for me, I love Grealish. I think he's one of one of the best English footballers. I think it would be criminal for him not go to to not go to the Euros. But um, that's just my view 
uh, on that one. Let, talking about international football, let's stick with it. Uh, the international break is coming up at the end of this month. And Jurgen Klopp has been uh, just as about as controversial as I just was with uh, Mason Mount. And, and Klopp said that he doesn't want his players... To, he said this. I'm going to get the quote up from Jurgen Klopp so I can get it as accurate as possible. Jurgen Klopp said uh, that I understand the need of the different FAs, but it's a time where you cannot make everyone happy. Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, says that he doesn't want uh, players to play in international friendlies or on the international break because they have to come home and quarantine on return. So uh, that's the situation. What do you think of it? For me, international duty is a must. It's you can't argue with it and it has to go ahead. But I understand what Klopp's saying. Well, if we were playing as well as we were last season, having the success that we were last season, Klopp wouldn't be saying that. I think it's just you have to understand and kind of empathise with him, the headspace that he's in. Um, he hasn't got all his available players. And then the ones that he does have have to go out on international duties and, and will miss some games. So it's, I think he, he's a bit desperate. I think he's desperate to have... Um, all of the players, the necessary players that he can have. Um, but he, he needs to look at these, you know, and, and he needs to respect it. As we said, no no um, team has like bent their international duties or players, you know, kind of bent their international duties uh, for their club. And I think it should always stay that. You've always, you know, you, you don't, there's not a massive duty internationally. Uh, it's, it's not often, you know, you don't play week in, week out and it doesn't impede on club playing massively. I know I know it's different now, obviously, you brought up with the quarantine uh, in any other season, any other year, any other kind of period of inter- international duties, it, that wouldn't be the case having to do the two-week quarantine. Um, but yeah, I think Klopp is just desperate to have all the players that he can. Um, when when they're not available for him, I think he's definitely going to question it. So it's understandable that he says it, but obviously it's just absurd and and <laughs> nobody should be uh, thinking like that. And I think I, I completely agree. Obviously, players need to um, do their international duties. It's an obligation in this uh, day of modern football. And if you're playing at the top level, it's something you have to do. Yeah, agreed. And uh, very quickly, let, let's just pay tribute to a Liverpool legend, Ian St. John, the Saint. Uh, passed away this week, 118 Liverpool goals, a proper uh, football man, who apparently was a, a, just a lovely bloke as well. So really sad to to be announcing that kind of news on the podcast this week. And also to Glenn Roder, Watford legend, Norwich City, uh, Newcastle United and West Ham legend. So two two real legends of the game gone this week. Yeah, uh, two, two icons, you know, obviously um, in St. John Wade before our time. Yeah. Um, but especially from a Liverpool fan standpoint, his legend lives on, you know, and, and it will live on for years to come. Um, what he did and what he did after football, um, the way he still dedicated his life to the game afterwards is something you have to commend, something you have to respect um, and something, you know, um, we have to reflect on in an unfortunate time um, of his past. I'm really sad to see such such a man go, but it's, it's what it is, it's life, isn't it, unfortunately? Yeah, no, you, you're right. Uh, and uh, yeah, Glenn Roder, like he is, St. John, proper football man, Watford legend. They paid a really nice tribute to him uh, uh, during the week. I think they beat, I think they beat Wickham, but they played a really nice tribute to him uh, just before that game. So yeah, our thoughts with uh, both Ian St. John and Glenn Roder's family. Let's go on to the horse racing. Uh, and I think a few weeks ago, no one would have heard the name Gordon Elliott. No disrespect to him, but outside of horse racing, Gordon Elliott isn't a massive name yet. 
in the last week or so. He's been all over the newspapers on both the front and back pages. Uh, if you don't know what's happened, then where have you been? Gordon Elliott essentially sat on a dead horse uh, and had a picture of take picture taken of him on a dead horse whilst on his mobile phone. Not a great look for one of the country's most successful horse trainers. Uh, I've got it on good authority that the picture was taken four years ago. Uh, and look, it's a really difficult story because if you know your horse racing, you know that Gordon Elliott's trained uh, horses like Silver Birch and Tiger Roll. He's a three-time grand national winner. Um, he, he's got all of these stats and he's won at Cheltenham, top trainer at Cheltenham 2017-18. Um, but this week has really switched things up. He's lost his sponsorship. Um, the British Horse Racing Authority said that they are appalled. Um, horses are being removed from his stables and it's a really tough time for him. And, and it's one of those where uh, it's difficult because everyone makes mistakes. You're not human if you don't make mistakes. And if, if it was four years ago, then he would have been sitting on this for four years praying that it never came out and someone's dobbed him in it. What do you think, Max, from a journalistic point of view? I think, I, I think, like we're gonna we're going to talk about it in a little bit. He, he is a good man, from what we've heard. He takes care of his horses. He loves the sport, and apparently, he, he's a genuinely nice chap. So it's a very difficult one. Well, yeah, I obviously we can't excuse no. what he's done, um, and I don't think no one is looking to do that, and. It's, it's a pretty easy way to look at this story from the humane point of view. Um, what he did is com- completely stupid. Um, everybody with half a brain will know that. It's a lot tougher to cover this story from the journalist side, as you said, mm. looking at the journalistic point of view, because what benefit does defaming someone to a high degree do when when looking at this story? Obviously, you know, uh, any writer or any journalist can uh, give their views or, or, you know, kind of give the speak on behalf of a lot of people who are, well, all people who know about the story um, who are going to be completely besides themselves when seeing it. But you've got to remember this guy's a human as well. So I think just chucking abuse his way is, is, is necessary to a degree, but I don't think, you know, it's completely it's completely acceptable because he's he's got it off everyone. He's he's had it off every newspaper, every media outlet, obviously, um, you know, and rightfully given what he's done. But I don't think there's any point in taking it to like a stupid degree, uh, where it's just another thing that he sees, you know. And I think um, you you don't have to be kind to the guy. I'm not saying you know you have to you have to love him. You, of course you don't. Given what he's done, um, it's just completely abysmal shocking unprofessional behavior but there's there's I think there's a line um and a lot I think there's gonna and there has been and there will be a lot of media outlets that have crossed the line for no no particular reason so there's I think there's a kind of as I said there's that line that uh definitely needs to be watched and trodden on carefully um just just out of human kind of respect for the guy because imagine what he's going through right now uh, and it's, it's as I said it's rightful you know he deserves the backlash but getting off everyone you know the whole of the UK or the whole of everyone that's going to see the story um, I kind of have a have a tad bit of sympathy for him because just if you imagine yourself in that position uh, it's, it's a tough spot to be in and it's probably a mentally hard time for him right now I hope he suffers consequences and suffers punishments 
but I also hope, um, you know, from one human to another that he actually uh, gets through all this and is okay. You know, is, is, is that a bad thing to say no, about it's somebody? Not bad, it's not bad <laughs> to say it at all. I mean, th- this man's got mortgages to pay. He's got, uh, he's got, he's got a home to feed and a family to feed and he's got a house to keep over his head, a roof to keep over his head. So it's not a bad thing to say at all. And look, what he did was completely idiotic, completely stupid. And it, it, it gives a very bad look on horse racing. For those of us that don't know it, and, and you look at one of the country's very, very top trainers, really high profile in this sport, and he's doing something like, something like that, you think, right, this sport is, it gives a very bad name for it. It really does. Um, but at the same time, it was four years ago, and everyone makes mistakes. And, and like you said, he's human. Um, and so, of course, he does deserve to be punished, um, because what he does, is what he did is inexcusable, Um I know Ruby Walsh, who's a Grand National winning, dual Grand National winner, uh, said that it's indefensible. Uh, James Given, British Horse Racing Association director, says the sport has been thoroughly let down. Yes, of course. Um, But at the same time, there has to be an element of there has to be an element of humanity in journalism and not necessarily kindness. You know, if you post something like that or it gets leaked, then you have to expect things to come your way and you have to expect pretty unpleasant stories. Uh, to be written about you. Uh, We spoke to Sky Sports legend David Craig about this. Here's what he had to say on kindness in the media. Well, first of all, I've got to thank you, Bean Soaker. You're the first person that's ever described me as a Sky Sports legend. I've had a few other descriptions in my time. (laughs) um, Yeah, um, I'm not quite that, but it's kind of you to uh, to, to say that. Um, Listen, I think for me, um, kindness... Uh, not just in the work that we do, but uh, kindness in life is very, very important. Um, I mean, look, I'm the grand old age of 57 now, so I, I, I've seen quite a bit. Um, I've, I know in my life, I've, um, and you learn from that, you know, from being a child right up to being a, an adult now, and I think you try and eradicate that. Human emotion is something that is always difficult to control. But I think kindness is a really good trait in people. And I look for that in people. And and look, it's not always, you know, I'm not preaching from the pulpit here because we all have moments where we're not kind. Even sometimes we might not recognise we're not being kind. Um, But I think it's important that that if someone does point it out to you, that you accept that and look at it and reevaluate. And look, I just try and treat my father always. My father was um, high up in the military, in the Air Force. And he always said to me that people will follow you and lead you if they can see something of themselves in you. In other words, treat others as you expect to be treated yourself. And I've I've tried to do that. Um, I'm not saying I haven't strayed from the path. And I'm not saying my father probably didn't stray from the path occasionally. But... I've tried to do that, and I think it's important. I think it's important to show empathy for people. Um, I fear for the modern world. I've I've been very open. Um, I'm not on social media, as you know, and I never intend to be, but I've been very open with people that ask me that I can see a lot of benefits in social media. Um, I wouldn't be a dinosaur and say that I can't see any benefits, but I've also seen a lot of people's lives destroyed. Um, once upon a time, people used to gossip, and that's what it was. They gossiped, but sure, that gossip sure. would stay very localised. Um, 
Now you put something nasty about someone on the internet, of which possibly nine times out of ten, you you can destroy that person's life and their family's life. And people are very quick to judge. You know, the view is, oh, no smoke without fire. And the problem is with, you know, uh, the use of social media is that the reality is people say, oh, it should be policed by the courts, it should be policed by this. The courts would never be empty if they if they sued every person who actually defamed somebody every day on the Internet or actually abused somebody every day on the Internet. And and I think that, you know, as much as it's a responsibility of big companies, whether it's, you know, the big social media platforms or, or whatever, to, to try and police it best they can. I also think it comes down to us as human beings being responsible, you know, and, and asking yourself, and you've mentioned the Gordon Elliott thing, look, the pictures are not great. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, you know, it's not that bad. Of course those pictures are, are wrong, and there's no doubt about it. And, and, and I think the fact that Gordon's put his hand up straight away is to his credit. You know, that's one of the bits that he's come out of credit but I think some of the things that have been written, some of the things that have been said, some of the things that have been suggested that, you know, should be banished and, you know, I mean, you know, the poor guy might might as well just literally curl up and die because what life is he going to have? And I just think quickly escalated that people actually do they actually think what are the real repercussions of this before they actually know the real story behind this Gordon Elliott situation and I'm honest I don't know the real story I've seen the pictures I formed an opinion on the pictures like everybody else but I'd like to know a lot more about it and um, I also would like to think that at some way back somebody who's made a terrible mistake like that can can find a way back because i don't believe that that's his everyday behavior david craig there giving his views on kindness in the media of course it's a really important thing and max and i both want to go into this industry but both want to do it properly Uh, it's it's not our aim to dehumanize people or to ruin people's lives i don't think any journalist uh, should wake up in the morning and think that's what they're going to do today unfortunately i'm sure there are one or two Uh, that don't quite share the same views that Max and I do. But there you go. Uh, There are always going to be those kinds of people in the world, but it definitely doesn't hurt a bit of kindness, especially at the moment. It's an interesting one, though, because like you said, Max, it's not that he shouldn't uh, shouldn't be punished for what he's done, but at the same time, he's a human being. And that inquiry, uh, by the time you're listening to this podcast, might have happened. It's on Friday, uh, the day we're recording. So uh, make sure... You're up to date with that. Let's go from race side to ringside now. And let's start with Canelo Alvarez. He's, I know you love him, Max. Absolute <laughs> legend. Uh, beat Avner Yildirim uh, the other night uh, with a third round. Well, a corner retirement from Yildirim uh, in the third round. Pretty expected, I think. Yeah. Um, we were kind of like joking about it last week. How he might cause an upset because of uh, because of Warrington and Lara kind of turned the uh, this is gonna this is gonna be the last time I talk about Warrington and Lara right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it literally you know it did it did turn um, the UK boxing world at least upside down for momentarily. So we were kind of like laughing about how uh, imagine if Yildirim shocked uh, Canelo, but this guy is the closest thing to invincible that you're going to get in modern day boxing. So it's would be, be the most uncharacteristic thing if he, um, 
suffered that upset loss. He didn't. Everything went to plan. It was as ex- uh, as expected. No, no real output from Yildirim. No kind of, you know, it's it's his biggest fight, his biggest payday, and he looked like he was in there for it. You know, he didn't look he didn't look like he wanted to win. He just wanted to take the money and go, which is you can kind of understand it to a degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially when you're in there with somebody like Canelo. But this man is going for greatness in these next 12 months and it's going to be fantastic to watch his journey he really is I think you could say he's, he's, he's in his prime you know 30 um, I think he, he should be nearing 31 now but literally still uh, primed you look at him in the gym look at his shape and how, how he is in his last couple of outings and the activity for a superstar of you know for a boxer of his um, significance to have fought late December last year and turn up again, um, you know, only a few months after. You get boxers that fight once a year and, and blame it on their circumstances. Uh, this this guy loves it, you know. Yeah, no no shade to Joshua there, but literally Canelo just loves the sport. And um, watching him, you know, embark on this journey now, he's got um, Saunders May the 8th, and obviously the winner of that will be looking to uh, become undisputed against Caleb Plant. So it'll be fantastic to watch all this unravels, and I'm really excited for it. I think Canelo will have to be up there uh, as one of the best to ever do it if if he can become undisputed at 168 pounds. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you touched on it there. It's Canelo Alvarez versus Billy Joe Saunders on the 8th of May for the WBA, WBC and WBO super middleweight titles. Uh, the winner of that will surely fight Caleb Plant, who's the IBF uh, title holder at the moment. And then whoever wins that fight with Caleb Plant will will have to be up there with one of the greatest ever. Uh, that is for sure. Uh, what do you think about that fight with Billy Joe Saunders, the Canelo Alvarez, Billy Joe? We know Billy Joe's a bit of a, well, he's a bit of a character. I think that's an understatement. Um, he, look, he's not someone I'd want to bump into in, in, in the ring or in the press zone. Um, what do you make of that fight? Well, I, I think if in the press zone, if you get on the right side of him, you have a, hell of a soundbite hell of a, a quote to get off him because as you say, he's a great character but in the ring you know he, he's got the skills and that's why he's the WBO champion right now um but when you pit when you put him up against Canelo I just think there's levels to this game and I, and I was talking to uh Matty Wyman shouts to Matty as we both know him um and we were talking this was when last year when before the the Callum Smith fight, when Canelo's next two opponents were rumored to be um, Smith or Saunders, and I was saying to him, they they're the best two opponents for him in this division right now, and I still don't think they come close to beating him. Uh, you know, and and they're they're both British lads. I want to support them, back them all the way, and want them to bring the titles back home. You know, you, you've got to root for them and, and get behind your national man. But realistically, I think I, I like Saunders' style as well. He's um, He's very fluid. He's, he's a very slick boxer. I, I like that. You know, that's a bit more of a rarity, I think, now in um, this day and age. But I just don't think he's got, first of all, the resume. I, I don't think his, his resume has given him enough experience to to challenge and, and see him through um, what could potentially be 12 rounds with Canelo. And then his activity is another thing, as I said about how um, active Canelo is, I think, uh, BJS is almost on the other end of the spectrum to that so I think those are going to be two um, massive downfalls uh, in when they come to blows on May the 8th and a lot of people are saying well I, I've seen a couple media outlets post about how obviously the only person to beat Canelo is uh, the man himself Mayweather and 
a lot of people are saying about how not to compare Saunders to Mayweather at all, but stylistically looking, Saunders kind of has that slickness very, to him. He's a very awkward, awkward fighter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but look, you you really can't you really can't take that Mayweather fight and compare it to to this fight because this is a prime Canelo uh, fight in Saunders. Saunders, who is obviously significantly um, the worst fighter than Mayweather. No disrespect to Saunders, obviously, but um, Mayweather's just a different breed. Obviously, different divisions as well. That's something you have to consider. Um, I think Mayweather made Canelo weigh in at 152 and a half pounds, you know, and, and Canelo's fighting at 168 um, in May. So that's completely different. There was, you know, as a starved... Uh, young Canelo and fighting Mayweather, that's when he lost. Um, fighting the same kind of fighter now, but just in a completely different environment. And I think he's definitely going to take the win when it comes well, to May. Alvarez is a poster boy of the sport. And uh, if you heard what sounded like a poster falling off the wall, it, it did. So that's what you <laughs> was talking. My, uh, this was from the, the League Cup final, actually. The ladies, the Women's League Cup final between Arsenal and Chelsea. Uh, at Nottingham Forest City ground and it's just falling off the wall so if uh, you heard a funny noise then that's what that was uh, let's go on to well I just, I just want to touch before we go on to Josh Taylor on what Callum Smith said he says that Billy Joe uh, has got movement he's, he's a southpaw he's a bit awkward and he can probably stay out of trouble but he doesn't think that he's got anything to keep Canelo off he doesn't think he's got enough power and uh it seems very much like that you and uh, you, Max, and uh, Callum Smith are singing off the same hymn sheet. Yeah, and you have to trust that. This is a guy who's been t- uh, in 12 rounds with this guy. You know, he, he knows um, how Canelo fights. And, you know, he's definitely seen a lot of uh, Billy Joe as well. So he, he's, it's probably the best comparison and the best prediction that you're going to get uh, is, is somebody who's fought one guy and seen a lot of the other so, yeah, I, I think Callum Smith is probably bang on there. Um, you know, Saunders has got that movement and he's, he's got that style that's taken him to, to the heights of being a champion in this division, but it's unfortunately not going to be enough to, to beat Canelo. And I'm not normally this confident in my predictions. No, you Boston. are very confident today. Yeah, yeah, but it's just... It's just, it's just Alvarez, man. He's just a different, he's just a different kind of guy. When he fights, you, you really do... Uh, well, I... Personally, I have full confidence in him because he just looks unbeatable at the moment. Yeah, he's one of those. Uh, let's go from Billy Joe Saunders, one English star, to another Josh Taylor. It's been announced that on May the 22nd, he will go to war with Jose Ramirez um, for the undisputed uh, lightweight championship. He could become only the second ever undisputed super, super lightweight champion, should I say. Uh, that's one to look forward to, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. And there's a, a big buzz around it, but I think there needs to be a bigger buzz to come. Everyone needs to get behind Josh Taylor, yeah. uh, the man representing Scotland. But, you know, he, he's going to do it for Britain, become the second ever undisputed uh, champion in the four-belt era. That's that's a massive achievement, isn't it? Unbelievable. Um, and we know just how much it means to him. He's he's fantastic. And I can see him winning it, you know. It's not like this fight is a long shot for him. This man is... In just in just the small amount of fights that he's had as a, as a pro as well, let's not overlook um, how almost kind of in terms of the amount of fights that he's had, he's kind of inexperienced in in that department. But he has enough experience um, and skills to to beat Jose Ramirez 
come May. And I think that is a fantastic fight. It's the fight that everybody wanted. You know, he, he went out against the, the mandatory Kong Song, um, some Thai mandatory boxer uh, last year, knocked him out first round. It really wasn't much to that, but it's nice to see him out there and, and staying fit. And um, I think now he's primed and, and really ready to go and, and beat Ramirez and take all those bells. No, definitely. And let's uh, conclude the podcast with AJ Fury. Talk Bob Arum this week. Very confident and has actually said that the fight has been agreed. Obviously, that's not quite official yet, but it sounds like we are extremely close to knowing more details about that bout. Um, an all-British world heavyweight title fight it should be absolutely unbelievable. Obviously, Fury isn't the only Fury uh, in the news this week with Tommy uh, starting a war of words with uh, Jake. Jake Paul, Logan Paul? I get confused. Jake Paul, Jake yeah. Paul. Um, yeah, the mouthier one. That's, yeah, yeah, the mouthy one. That's that's a completely different story there. AJ Fury, that's exciting from Bob Arum. Yeah, um, and we're, we're talking, we've just literally gone off on three undisputed title fights. You know, you, you, as a boxing fan, you've got to be grateful for this. This is some fantastic matchmaking that we've been spoiled with here. Um, for for what box, boxing fans are used to getting, uh, this is fantastic. And in this environment as well, where it's definitely harder to make fights happen, given everything that's going on. So props to everybody that's that's making these fights happen and giving us something to look forward to. Um, something less to look forward to is obviously the Fury-Jake Paul fight. Um, you know, you got you got these fantastic undisputed matchups on one end of the spectrum and then these two jokers on the other end. But look, Tommy Fury is an actual fighter. And, um, it, you know, in the actual real serious fights he's had, he's looked like... Um, like he's he's got a lot of potential, and I see a lot of him. Um, that's that's promising. You know, he's he's not he's not no reality star anymore. Although it, it his reality star characteristics came out in his uh, little back and forth with Jake Paul. I think he he can be a serious um, a serious boxer in the coming years if he wants to take himself seriously. I don't think in this career uh, in this early on in his career, it's like the best move to go trade in words with a such a character as Jake Paul, you know, n- not a professional boxer. I don't care about his record or who he's fought. He's not. Um, and I think as well, even worse, if he picks a fight with Fury, I think he's going to get knocked out as well. So I don't know what he's up to these days. I don't know why he makes the choices that he does, but um, Tommy's all for it. And that that will probably happen some way down the road. But hey, we've got the, the bigger and more serious fights to look forward to. So we'd be thankful for that. Yeah, you'd hope uh, Tommy Fury does the business and uh, silences this man forever. But uh, whether that will actually happen, who knows? No one really knows. But uh, there you go. There's your boxing roundup. You've uh, had a bit of a racing roundup this week as well. And uh, of course, one more time, let's remind ourselves of that uh, superb victory for Chelsea at Anfield last (laughs) night. Uh, Chelsea won, Liverpool nil. Uh, Liverpool now five without a win at Anfield. Not looking good for Max's boys in red. Uh, But there you go. That's it from the Middlemen podcast. Listen back to previous episodes, interviews with Galaia Fire, Liam Williams, Niall Hickman, a boxing journalist. And today, uh, thank you for David Craig's input as well. That was really interesting. Uh, But make sure to like, subscribe. I'm not a YouTuber. Don't know why I said that. Make sure (laughs) to just subscribe or whatever you do on uh, these platforms. And uh, yeah, enjoy the podcast. Yeah, thank you guys for listening and listening to our guests that we've already had. We've got some big ones coming up, so stay tuned for them and just appreciate you guys uh, listening every week. So thank you and we'll be back again next week.